Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 171, The Battlefields. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside co-host Steve and Ant, and joined by guests from Bear Down Chicago podcast, Jack and Brendan. How are you all doing, fellas? Good Christmas? Very good. Yeah, lots lots of family time. I say, you know, food, football, family, play some games. That's fun. Uh, really a very fortunate fortunate person to enjoy christmas the way that i did yeah it was it was great um pretty much same thing jack said you know just being with family and how about having three football games on that was that was such a treat i mean i'm i do like the nba i'm a basketball fan but obviously football first and even though the games were terrible it was just nice to watch football pretty much all day long to have it on in the background uh so yeah it was it was really good how about you guys i'm yeah, I've been working the most part of it, but, you know, be all and end all of the business to do. And then outside of that, it's been kind of sat watching bowl games every night, just taking in my last college football action before the season is over. So it's all good fun. Plenty of football. I, I'm not going to complain about that. Steve, haven't talked to you since Christmas. Yeah, all good. Um, pretty quiet. Um, just a, a few family, Not nothing too um, exciting. So just plenty of time to chill. Uh, like December at work is my kind of like worst time. So like it's good just to finish and turn the out of office on and just regress into like student life of <laughs> sitting on the sofa, eating crisps and drinking beer. <laughs> what, what a wonderful time of year. I'm still not used to the Christmas Day games like Brendan. I'm like, are we not meant to be watching basketball at this point? Or like spending time with family with that on in the background, pretending to watch it, but it's not really happening. Whereas the football's on and we had the treat of watching the Rams. Yeah, that's great. Um, Brendan, <laughs> we've had obviously uh, Jack on a few times before, seven weeks ago, in fact. And so the guys probably know him quite well, but we haven't had you on before, I don't think. So why don't you introduce yourself to the folks? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me. It is it is my maiden voyage, uh, so I'm excited to be here. Um, so yeah, I am uh, one of the co-hosts of the Bear Down Chicago podcast uh, with Jack, Ryan, uh, Logan, and Patrick. Uh, I'm also the assistant editor for Bears Wire, uh, part of the USA Today Network. So a uh, lot of a uh, lot of writing, especially today uh, with the news of the Bears possibly looking at uh, the Big Ten commissioner. Kevin Warren uh, is possibly their next president. So it's been a busy day. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that since uh, 2019. And obviously I've been with with Jack and everybody um, on the podcast uh, since last year. And then of course, becoming part of the Bear Down Chicago podcast. So yeah, I've been doing this for, for a few years and I've been uh, pretty much a lifelong Bears fan, but I became a true diehard Bears fan in the great year of 2003 when the Bears were seven to nine. And I just, for some reason was like, Hey, I, I want to watch football now. So been, been a big Bears fan for a long time. Fantastic. And thank you for donating your time. Really, really appreciate you being on. Um, just going to get cracking with the Bears. Uh, we obviously talked about them seven weeks ago and 
quite a lot's changed, Jack. Uh, we talked about them before as a team that, you know, maybe the expectations weren't so high, but you weren't far away from 500 and Fields was looking like an absolute beast. And we're sitting here with no no more wins on the board since that day, which sucks, really. Like, as much as Lions fans like to hate on Bears fans and vice versa, it, it felt like you guys were making some real progress ahead of expectation and it kind of has all fallen apart a bit. What's what's happened do you think well i mean i don't there's no way of denying the fact that it's it's a complete rebuild and i think we we even accepted that the last time we <laughs> chatted and you know oh, yeah. there wasn't a lot of money placed into you know free agency there was only so much polls could do with with the draft and free agency to plug a bevy of holes to put it mildly so i don't know i mean i think on some levels whereas we might have liked to have seen another win or two, and we let a few slip away, a handful slip away. I think mostly it's to be expected. Uh, you know, you trade away three of your biggest assets uh, in Mac and Quinn and Roquan. You face a lot of injuries when your roster was already pretty anemic, to put it mildly. Ant was uh, just throwing us right under the bus before we even got on today. So. But he was right. I mean, like in terms of talent, um, it's it's a kind of few and far between so far. But I think if we had put all of our chips in, you know, and like gone after free agents, and we were at the cap, and this was our record, you would see, you know, Brennan and I, you know, probably you know, heavily drinking, hungover, uh, nails bit. But we but we didn't, you know, and so really, I. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of, I have a lot of excitement for our Bears. I really do, even, which is weird with three wins, but I, I'm I'm very excited with the tra- trajectory of this team. I think the trajectory of the team, Brendan, doesn't feel dissimilar to where the Lions were last year. Um, three win Lions team, as we know from, from last year, but you guys have been basically within a score of Green Bay recently. You ran Philadelphia close, maybe should have won that game. Atlanta was close. Obviously, the game with Detroit was close. Miami before that was close. Like, you're not getting blown away by these guys. Even Buffalo last week was like, okay, fell away in the third quarter a bit. But you were hanging with these guys and beating these guys. It doesn't feel like a a lost call scene, does it? No, not really. And I think that goes to show how much the guys are re- really buying into Matt Eberflus's culture. Like these guys are playing hard. They're playing for every down. But what's happening is, especially in the case of the Eagles and the Bills games, they're playing them tough early. They're kind of getting them off their skis a little bit. The offense, I think, has great scripts early on. But then those upper echelon teams kind of catch up and they make adjustments. They find the weak points of the Bears, which there are many, like Jack said, um, especially with injuries the last two weeks hitting the Bears hard. Jack Sanborn, for example, has been a huge, huge get and has been an awesome storyline for the Bears coming in for Roquan Smith. He's been a really solid player for that defense. He's gone now, so you have a void in the middle. Your your secondary is now filled with rookies and undrafted rookies, it, it, literally like all across the board. Um, and you know they they've played very well, but at some point, you know they're going to get exposed, especially against some of the better wide receivers and tight ends that the NFL has. So yeah, I, I think that does really go to show what Matt Eberflus is building and just kind of the confidence that this team has. They're a young team. 
they're still kind of, you know, learning to get together. And I think the coaches as well are still learning to kind of put together, you know, solid game plans and, you know, keep things moving. But yeah, I think up until recently, we really started, every game has been close. I think the Bills game is the only one that really kind of got out of hand um, at the end of the game, which is to be expected. Mm. So the Bears come in 3-12, and 12, uh, 5.3 wins expected by Pro Football Reference, 4.7 by Football Outsiders, so way under-expected. You know, this team is is getting unlucky as much as anything, which kind of bears out what we're, we're talking about here. Uh, wins early against San Francisco, Houston, and at New England, and then eight straight losses with Detroit being in that stretch, conceded at least 25 points in, in those eight losses, which is not ideal. But when you take out Mac, you take out Smith, you take out Quinn, and then you say, right, we're going to put on injured reserve Eddie Jackson, Lucas Patrick, Jalen Johnson last week, Darnell Mooney, wide receiver one, Khalil Herbert, probably running back one by the time he went down, and Jack Sanborn, linebacker one at the, that point. How many teams are going to be able to deal with that? And I'm sure you remember from last year how banged up the Lions were and how devoid of talent it kind of was anyway. The similarities are pretty striking to me. Like, it, this team is fighting hard. Well, if, if you kind of take Brendan's entire paragraph from a minute ago that he sort of said, and you replace Bears and Matt Eberflus with Lions and Dan Campbell, you would think you were talking about exactly the same team. You would. You have a team that, us, us this time last year, three wins. Oh, I don't even think we had three this time last year. But, you know, fights very hard losing a lot of close games, has the odd blowout here and there, which is to be expected. Injuries, I mean, (laughs) don't talk to us about injuries from last year. I think between injuries and dead cap, what, we had nearly 100 million on the sidelines, and you just can't compete when you're in that scenario. But the the main piece is there, and like I said, they're installing the culture. They're fighting hard. I've actually, you know, for all all the shade I throw their way on that, I think I've been very impressed with how... hard they've fought this year that defense they've given away some of their best players and the d-line which is always the backbone of that team which has been a nightmare for us for years it's not what it is but the secondary is still good the linebackers are still pretty good not many teams put points up on and when it's only getting to the end of games sort of garbage time and the tiring a bit when points get points so it is it, it's kind of very strikingly similar and that's why i really don't like this game this weekend because this time last year we came up against the Vikings team who were fighting for the playoffs and no one gave us a prayer against and we were injured. And and what did we do in that? You know, it was a team that fought hard, looking to win, and we did. And, yeah, the similarities are very, very striking between these two teams um, 12 months apart. Steve, you're obviously the NFL Scotland's uh, NFC North writer, so you know these Bears well. What have you seen from them this back half of the year? team that doesn't give up um and i certainly don't think when you think about the bears record um i don't think tanking is like ever been a, an option or even like discussed because you know that as you guys have said the bears have, have fought really really hard maybe not for all four quarters sometimes but you know they've absolutely um you know done the best with what they've got um I guess I've got a couple of questions for, for Brendan and Jack. So first of all, talking about the similarities between the Bears and the Lions and the whole rebuild. The one thing that kind of struck me as a bit um, off in terms of the whole story that, we, you know, the storyline and trajectory that we kind of know 
was the, like the Chase Claypool um, trade. So what, what do you guys make of that? Because it seems quite in, incongruous compared to everything else that was going on. I think it's about scarcity. You know, I think looking out at the potential free agent market and looking at the upcoming draft, Poles made a business decision to the extent where is this the pick that he's giving up? Does that equate to what would be a similar ceiling to Ch- Chase Claypool? In other words, could you get a Claypool type player either through free agency or the draft? And I think he decided that it wouldn't be likely that he could. When you look at Claypool's ceiling, especially his first couple of years, he caught somewhere around 85 passes both years, well over 800 yards. Uh, we know he popped off in his, in his first year. So he hasn't made the impact, I think, initially that most of us were hoping for. But there's a lot of factors that go into that. How many free agent you know, uh, receivers come in and make an immediate impact? It doesn't happen very often. I think Brendan likes to say it's, you know, it's maybe only, um, oh, I just forgot his name, Brendan, who do you always Amari remember? Cooper. Thank you. Amari Cooper is maybe one of the few examples. Um, and plus, you know, our offense is just scrambling to put things together, right? If, so, so I think once we get some, you know, help in the offensive line, we get some other offensive weapons, we'll truly see what we have in Claypool. But, but you are right. I think that it does probably from the outside in look like he, like pulls went away from from the plan. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I, th- I think I like the move. Definitely want to give it more time. We'll see. Yeah, and and to build off that, you got to remember when the Bears made that move. It was right before the Miami Dolphins game. They had just lost their first of this eight game losing streak. They were still probably like I think they were maybe top ten for draft picks. Maybe it was like top like twelve or something. So they weren't even close to becoming one of the worst teams. And you're also trying to build an offense and show that, hey, I, we want to build around Justin Fields. And we took advantage of somebody who was available, get him in early. Now, I, I do like to say that Amari Cooper, when he was traded from the Raiders to the Cowboys, he was the only one that kind of went from one team to another right away like that. And then just had an immediate impact. Every other player, it seems to take a while for them to develop. So, But everything has gone wrong since then. Claypool's been hurt when he's been in the game. They haven't necessarily utilized him in the way that we thought. He's been used mainly for like bubble screens and the occasional deep throw. And the Bears have just lost all these games where that draft pick they gave up, which once already kind of looked high, is even looks even worse now because you're talking about maybe instead of the like 42nd or 44th pick, this very could be the 33rd or 34th pick. So it's a lot, everything has gone wrong in that, but this was a move that was always made that was made um, because of the fact he was going to be under contract going into next year too. It wasn't just about this season. So hopefully having him in the building now and throughout the entire off season, things will look good because we've seen what he can do with Pittsburgh. I mean, 900 yards, double digit touchdowns, I believe his rookie season, like Jack mentioned, there's still hope there, but it's just a a series of unfortunate events that have happened with him since, since he's been acquired. I guess Um, just, just to build off what Steve was kind of asking, maybe what you guys have said is that there seems to be for me, a kind of, and I think Pittsburgh were facing this and maybe that's why they were willing to let him go was they were going into a weird spot where they didn't necessarily want to pay him. And I think a lot of people were saying, oh, he's going to go for a third, maybe a a high third, but a third. And then I know the Packers were in for him too, so it kind of justified the price that you paid. But you're going in now, 
And I mean, never mind free agent players, but traded players never seem to do that great unless they're gadget wide receivers, because you can kind of just do that week one and it's fine. Whereas he's clearly not that guy. So traded player year one's not going to work out that well. Okay. So you're going to go into the final year of the deal next year. If it goes moderately well, do you really want to tag him? Do you, because resigning him could be really expensive, but tagging him could be just a horrible move. Like you're in some sort of weird place where any move you make seems bad. Letting him go is terrible, but paying him could be worse. Like, I don't know in a, in a, an offensive line that needs work, Fields needs time to throw. Like, you're on a kind of hiding to nothing at the moment. It's a big amount of work that needs doing in the offseason to justify the trade. Right. So I guess my my thinking is that's a problem for a long, you know, future, future Bears problem, thankfully. But what I would do if I were Ryan Poles is I would extend Darnell Mooney first. So both guys are up for extensions. Mooney's shown what he can do, and I don't think he's going to be that expensive Yes, he's coming off an injury, but he's shown a rapport with Justin Fields. Locking him up and having somebody reliable for the next few years, I think, would be in the best interest. And then you see what Chase Claypool can do next year. You don't have to make a decision on him. If he does blow up for, let's say, 1,200 yards or something and 11 touchdowns, absolutely. Great. Pay him. If maybe he's another middling wide receiver, yeah, you you did give up a high second-round pick, but then you just let him go or maybe – Maybe you can get him at a discounted price, but I know there's been some argument like, well, do you extend him now while his value might be lower? Is he going to want to do that? Probably not because he's going to want to bet on himself. There's a lot of factors in here where I'm just, I'm basically saying, let's let all of this play out through next year, because I think this wide receiver room could look very different in 2023, let alone 2024. Here's a question I wanted to ask um, you guys was, um, I think I've, I follow Bear Down Report, I follow Jack, um, your colleague Ryan Dangle. Um, so I see a lot of stuff on Twitter and the name Luke Getze seems to be um, getting a lot of heat in terms of um, volume of comments. And there's been a lot of like really positive comments and, you know, wow, genius play by Getze. But there also seems to be a bit of frustration creeping into Bear's Twitter that I've sensed in the last couple of weeks. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely fair. And I also think that it would be fair to say that in terms of volatility or inconsistency, he's probably been, of the new coordinators, the most inconsistent. Now, you've had eight different combinations of starting offensive linemen. You have a room full of, quite honestly, B team receivers. <laughs> you, you know, you've got you've got so little weapons, uh, and I think, and, and he's and he's a new play caller. Um, despite a lot of a lot of um, you know difficulties, I feel like he's also shown an ability to adjust. And, you know, the fact that we we lead the the, the NFL in rushing. And I think as of last week, even if you take Fields's numbers out, we were still ninth in rushing with, with a ragtag offensive line, as I said, that's been switched up quite a bit. I just feel like you can only do so much with what you're given. And, and we talked about it. Brendan mentioned it earlier. Talent trumps all. I mean, you, you look at your wide receiver core in your backfield, <laughs> you think about the speed, athleticism, and ability that those those players have we don't have that and yet Getsy has 
done his best to make the most of it. And I will just say, and Brennan has heard me say this a lot, what I really love about Floos is in an interview uh, once he mentioned the fact that the most important part, the backbone of any franchise is the relationship between the position coach and the player. And what I have seen, we don't get a lot of word salad like we did with, with, with Matt Nagy. We get specific discussion of the way in which these coaches are working to develop the players that they have currently on the roster which to me is just, it's a remarkable thing to see. We don't really see that throughout Bears history. And so what I like about, whether it be Getze or Williams or you know any of the coaches so far on this staff, is they've made a commitment. They've shut out all the chatter about tanking and about sit Justin Fields and about all the other BS. And they just keep looking at the guys in the room and trying to get better. And Brendan, we saw that all the way back in camp when we went to training camp, same thing. Yeah, exactly. And the only thing I'll add here, because I agree with everything Jack said, I mentioned it earlier when I said coaches and players need to continue to develop. And that's what Luke Getzey needs to do. He's a first year play caller. I like what his offense has been. I think when you establish the best rushing offense in the entire league and a historic rushing offense when it comes to the Chicago Bears, a team that's had Gail Sayers, Walter Payton, Matt Forte, just legendary running backs, you're doing something right. And I, I commend him so much for being able to take this offense and build an identity within it because we didn't have that the last couple of years. The issue that I and I think other Bears fans have with him is his inconsistency with situational play calling. He'll have a big maybe pass play, max protect with Justin Fields, and then goes for like 40 to 50 yards. And then immediately it's run, run, run. And then you're, you know, third or fourth down and, and seven. And suddenly all that momentum you just had is gone. So I think he can continue to develop when it comes to a situ- situational play calling. But I think Bears fans as a whole are still pretty pleased with what he's done with this offense and the development that certain guys have had. And that goes from Justin Fields to Khalil Herbert to the offensive line and even guys like Cole Komet, who's who's had a better season uh, than he's had the first two. Um, in terms of the end of the season and the last few games, we talked about how the team's very similar. This time last year, we were having a very loud discussion with many different opinions on how the season put, should end for us. And I heard you talking about this on the bed pod the other day, and I heard Ryan utter the words, I hope the Lions win, words that I never thought I'd hear him say in his life ever. You know, this weekend is kind of a point where you're playing us, you've got the chance to beat us, dash our playoff hopes, you know, get the, uh, get the one up on us there, or you have the chance to lose the second pick, maybe yours, the first, if Houston carry on winning games, kind of, I know where Ryan sits with it, but where do you two sit on this fence? Do you want the team to win out? And, you know, let's say the players learn how to win games. It's good for them, good for the staff. Or would you prefer that they didn't? Why don't you go, Brendan, while I compose myself? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was going to say, I know exactly where you stand. Um, I'm, I I see both sides of it. I really do. Um, And I've been somebody who said, I don't root for losses. I don't. We're guaranteed 17 football games a year. And I do want to see my team win as much as possible. That being said, you get to a certain point in the season when you know everything's lost. And considering that the Bears have a unique position or are in a unique position to possibly get the number one pick, I'm not necessarily rooting for them to lose. But I'm not going to be mad if they lose because I do see the bigger picture 
And again, like if you're asking me this in November, I'm like, absolutely. I want the bears to win, you know, but when it comes to late December, you've already had an eight game losing streak. You've seen a lot of development from certain guys. I'm okay with them losing, but I'm not rooting for it. Now I will say on the other, on the other side of the debate, I think you can point to finishing off the season with a couple wins can help a culture going into another season. And I actually have not mentioned this on our podcast yet, but I go back to 2009 when the bears first got Jay Cutler. And you guys might remember this because you, the lions were involved in it. It was a terrible season. It it was one of those kind of like what the Broncos had with Russell Wilson or the Browns with Deshaun Watson. It just didn't work. And Super Bowl aspirations didn't happen. The Bears were sitting at five and nine to end the season. And Cutler had thrown like 26 interceptions on the year. The final two games, he threw four touchdowns against the Vikings in an overtime win and four touchdowns against the Lions to finish the season seven to nine and build off momentum going into next season. And that was the season in 2010, the next year, where they went to the NFC Championship game. I think there is something to be said for building a culture and not necessarily learning to win, but building off that momentum. Because you got to think, when that's the last memory you have of playing, that's going to sit with you until the next season. And we've seen it on the flip side with the Bears losing against the Eagles in the double doink game. The coach became obsessed with finding a different kicker. And that's all that the offseason was talking about from that one kick. So I, I don't think you can discredit people saying that you you can't build momentum with a young core into the next season because I think you can. But at the same time, the Bears are in such a unique position. I'm okay with them losing, knowing that it could really change the franchise in a big way with the number one pick. The name Cody Parkey will never be forgotten in Detroit. Uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah go, go for it, Jack. Yeah, I, what I plug into, and, and it could be idealistic, and you could say I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I just you know listen to Getsy and, and Williams address the media here in Chicago, and they're talking about this weekend being a, a playoff atmosphere. They're talking about the, the, the idea that great teams – uh, practice and play well in December and January. If you want to be a great team, that that's those are the type type of uh, you know behaviors and mentalities you have to have. They're talking about the idea, like like for instance, they said, well, should we sh- should we sit Justin Fields? And Flu said, absolutely not. Every player has the opportunity to put themselves into this situation in the next two games to get more reps, to see more sets, and every time you do that with a player that there's there's less thinking going, Williams' words, there's less thinking going on in their heads and there's more intuitive playing of football. And and so that's the, like, that's the narrative that I, I prefer. I love to see, you know, maybe it sounds cliche, but the Bears really haven't quit. They've coached their roster all the way from, you know, guy one all the way down to two and three. And, and I, I appreciate that greatly. And so if they continue to play that way and they happen to get a win, I'm not going to bemoan the fact that that drops us down in terms of, of a draft pick. It almost seems as if some Bears fans are putting the entire franchise's future on whether they get a one through three pick. And to me, while that I do understand the value of a high pick, it's, it's generational. It's franchise changing. I understand. Uh, I, I just... The narrative I prefer, the one that I feel is less toxic and negative and counterproductive than, yeah, let's go, let's get, we gotta lose, we gotta have the tank. Oh, it just makes me nauseous, honestly. Um, if we lose and play hard, fine. If we win and play hard, fine. If we get a top three pick, great. 
I hope we do the best we can with it. That's, that's funny because that's kind of the narrative we had this year. We, we're not the pro tank in time. We were the same and you saw the team play until the last week and then I fully believe that that has translated into this season. When they're one and six getting their ass kicked every week and things are down, they're still playing hard and they still have memories of that little end of the season last year where you did it all and then you've seen what it's done for them this season. It's just that winning is infectious. So I was just curious as to how you guys were looking at it, but you seem to have addressed it the same way we did last year. We were like, we were all for wins and, you know, we still got a good draft pick out of it. When you got a good GM, it doesn't really matter where you pick. Steve? We talk about the elephant in the room because the words haven't been spoken on this podcast, but I feel that we, we need to discuss it. And that's Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, I, I, wasn't why? On, I wasn't on the last podcast, so, you know, I wasn't able to vent my frustration. But can I just remind everyone here, including Brendan and Jack, that four weeks ago, the Packers were dead. Like, they were absolutely beneath the ground dead. Like, I think they were four and eight. And somehow events have conspired to allow them now horrible horrible chance of getting into the playoffs um and me and matt have had a bet on this because i as a, a doom monger and a defeatist I, I i bet matt that the packers would get in the playoffs and as an optimist matt's okay can i point out that that bet was at like four and five or something it wasn't a four and eight no, absolutely <laughs> but but the frustrating thing is that you know rogers was done he was absolute toast and you know Chicago had a shot to finish him off. We had a shot. If we'd have beaten the Panthers, that would have done it. But here he is, and here they are, and they are now a thing again. And it's A, disgusting, and B, terrifying. And I just want to know what, what everyone, how everyone is feeling, because I, I feel we needed to, to touch on this topic. I'm not going to comment on it, but Steve, you're allowed to say fuck, you're allowed to say shit, but Aaron Rodgers is not allowed on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Aaron Rodgers. Look, folks. look, this this I I always look back to previous seasons. I know people probably get annoyed with it, but look, we were in a similar position ten years ago, twenty thirteen. All we had to do was win the final game, and it was the infamous Randall Cobb fourth and eight walk off touchdown. Basically, it's one of my worst Bears memories. So, guys, just take care of business. That's all. And you know what? If this, I would much rather see the Lions in the playoffs this year, much rather than the Green Bay Packers. So if that means the Lions winning this week, and then I'm not sure the whole uh, playoff scenario at this point, but just win, win next week, guys. That's all you need to do. Yeah, I mean, and we're relying on the Vikings here, and I have zero faith in the Vikings, <laughs> who are a fraudulent franchise. Zero faith they're going to take care of business this week. You, yeah. you mentioned it earlier, Matt, too, that the, probably the, one of the best parts about the Claypool trade was that we that we cock-blocked the Green Bay Packers. I think that was a win <laughs> all unto itself. So we're just going to say that trade was a win. I mean, all, all things aside, can we, we can't deny Aaron Rodgers' talent. We just can't. His experience, his expertise, he's a freaking good, smart quarterback who clearly has some left in the tank. That, that that that's me like puking in my mouth as I admit to that. Put all the other stuff aside. 
because all the rest of it is absolutely nauseating. <laughs> you know what I mean? All the off the field stuff. But he's but he's good, and he and he's the best in the division until he isn't. He doesn't and, die. No, no, you know he never goes away. Um, talking of talented quarterbacks, I say this: you guys have one that is starting to get better. But all I see at the minute on Twitter, everywhere, just in fields, the praise is. <laughs> It, it, it's otherworldly. It's something I've not seen like this before. But, you know, I just want to ask you two guys, as it is, as you've seen as Bears fans, level-headed. What have you seen from him this year? How is he progressing? Is he really, really as good as everyone is making out to be at the minute? Because I know the receiving group ain't great. The passing yardage ain't great. He's running well, but still sounds like there's a way to go. But Bears fans seems to think he's really far ahead. What, what are your opinions on him this year and how he's done? I I really think he's turned a corner and you look back at the start of the season. I was very critical of his play. I didn't think he was seeing the pocket. Well, he was inaccurate with his passes, especially like week three and week four against the, the Houston Texans and New York giants. Things just weren't coming to him. Maybe as, as much as we as bears fans wanted, but then we, we've always looked to the mini bye week where after that commander's Thursday night game where the bears lost, the Bears offensive staff kind of came together with Fields and they developed a, a game plan that suited his skill set and allowed him to be more comfortable in the pocket. They utilized his running more. But then what happened off that? So we've seen the 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 magnificent runs that he's had. You know, you guys have seen it firsthand against the Lions, but we've also seen him get better in the pocket. He's looking, he's keeping his eyes downfield more. He's creating more space with his legs and looking downfield for his receivers. His completion percentage has gotten much better. He's had multiple games of over a hundred quarterback rating. He's been stacking those up. Yes. He, and look, he's also been injured too for that one game, but I I've seen a guy that is doing as much as he physically can with a depleted roster, a depleted receiving group. And literally every single week since that Falcons game, he's lost Darnell Mooney. He's lost Chase Claypool. Now Equinemia St. Brown is down. Now there's a chance Dante Pettis might not even be able to play. And he's been kind of a safety valve for him. So he has gotten better as a passer while his receivers have pretty much gotten worse. So I've been very pleased with it. He still does need stuff to work on. I think at times he he switches up his arm delivery a little bit that you know maybe creates a little more inaccurate passes. But you can't deny that the progression between from week one to now week seventeen has been just huge. I think. I mean, intangibles, intangibles. I mean, we we found our franchise quarterback, which is even better in terms of like our high draft pick because we're going to try to find the you know uh, the Ryan Pace of the draft we're going to try to find the the Mitch Trubisky situation to try to see if we can fleece somebody because we're we're sitting in a position of strength with our with our quarterback I don't buy into the narrative of him you know of Justin being a running quarterback but you guys have seen the clips right I mean there are instances where it looks like you know the defenders like the opposing team put in like a high school secondary linebacker and group of linebackers. He runs by people like they're standing still. He moves around people, you know, and fakes and jukes and spins like they're standing still. Um, arm strength, leadership, uh, positivity. Uh, I, I just, 
I'm sold. I mean, a hundred percent sold on him with very little doubts. He doesn't hang out of the ball as much as he used to. He now has learned to begin to throw it out of bounds and in, in, in crappy situations. Um, he could be a little bit better at sliding, but it's not his fault that Dominican Sue and other players like to smash him in the head while he slides. But, um, the, you know, it, he's, he's so good. I mean, so that's, that's kind of why. Oh, sorry, man. No, no, you go. That's, that's, that's kind of why, I, like you said, we see the highlights, you see all the, the praise and that. And I know it's been a while since you've had the franchise guy there in Chicago, so it's just trying to get a feel where he's at at the minute. But, I mean, for the Lions this week especially, we, we struggled earlier in the season, but where is he still vulnerable? Where can you still get at him and make him a day? Because that's obviously the biggest question that we have to answer this week if we wanted this one. If he, if he can run on you, if he gets comfortable and passes it, it's going to be a long day. So where... What of the teams who have shut him down? What have they done really well to really contain him? So the biggest thing that I've seen from the Eagles and the Bills is they've really been containing the edges. They've been keeping Kai's back where he is not able to turn on the edge as much as he was previously able to do. And that's led to him either throwing the ball away or at times he's taken a one to two yard loss when trying to run out of bounds. And, you know, we've seen designed quarterback runs or he's just you know hadn't seen anything downfield and he tries to hit those edges and especially when you have a depleted wide receiver core at this point that's kind of what he's been wanting to do and his you'll look at the bills game his rushing totals just weren't there and i think even against the eels game he had that one miraculous second and 27 run which was one of the greatest things that we've seen like there was no way in hell he should have gotten out of that but then aside from that a lot of other runs They've just been containing the edges. So if the Lions really want to stop him, that's the way to do it. And then keep him in the pocket because not that he's like a bad passer or anything. His weapons are just so limited. There's going to be opportunities for the defense to capitalize. And to build off that, I think right now your D coordinator is probably watching all of the Bills film. And they're noticing that the Bills had a tendency to shade their defensive ends either you know nose up or inside and then loop outside backers around and that created a bracket that pretty much any time fields tried to do his normal <laughs> miraculous escapability there was a bills player right there now i mean no slight to you but I, i'm not sure if there's defenders mm-hmm. on the lions that would match the bills the bills have a top six defense so they might be able to put that scheme in place i'm not sure the extent to which they can effectively run that scheme, the Lions, that is. But that, I think really that, you know, Brennan hit it. If if you can figure out a way to to contain that escapability and him creating these miraculous secondary plays, uh, that's at least a start because he's still going to be able to, hopefully we're going to be able to establish the run game still, and he can still make some things happen with his arm if the guys on the other end happen to catch the ball. Brendan, I know that we're coming to the end of our time with you, so I just want to kind of throw the the the, the bat on to you to kind of close out for yourself in terms of painting a picture of how you see the game going for itself and maybe a, a score prediction, which we'll kind of do at the back end of when when we're all done. But just to give you that chance, then maybe to shout out any uh, Bears Wire piece that you're doing before the game, perhaps. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, so in terms of the game. I think it is going to be a similar, maybe out. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, final or, you know, just what we've seen previously against the Lions, where it is going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout like we saw last week against the Bills because these two teams play each other hard. 
but I really think it's going to be another late Lions win. The Bears might even have a lead at halftime, establishing that run. I think we mentioned it. Luke Getze is great at creating script at his scripted plays to start games. Things kind of go a little haywire in the second half. So that's where the Lions can capitalize. And it's it's going to be really interesting. I'm very interested to see how the Lions use some of these wide receivers that we didn't see previously. Jamison Williams is back. DJ Shark is back. Uh, you guys have a tight end now, apparently, by the name of Shane Zilstra, who <laughs> just came out of nowhere that I'm excited to see if he still gets some run in the passing game. So uh, I'm very impressed with the Lions offense lately. And I think they're, they're this is going to be a loss for the Bears. It's going to be their ninth loss. The Lions just have more to play for at this point. They're healthier, and the, the Bears just don't have enough to to compete at this point. So I'm going to say it's essentially, I'll say 28-24 Lions. I think, once again, a close game. The offense does enough in the first half, but things kind of go haywire. And uh, as far as pieces I'm working on, I've just did a ton about you know the Kevin Warren news. I have uh, five Lions players to watch for, uh, which I did mention shark and, uh, Zilstra specifically, and then, uh, some bold predictions, uh, will be coming out, uh, tomorrow or Saturday. So, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. And then of course we'll be back on our podcast. Um, not sure if we're doing that Sunday or Monday, Jack, <laughs> we should probably figure that out. Yeah, we should. I think we'll probably still do it Sunday. Ryan's on vacation. So we're, uh, we have to punt a little bit, but we'll, we'll make it happen. Yeah. I'm stepping in as a, you know, the backup quarterback. So, you know, I just got to keep the rig on the road, but, um, yeah, no, thank you guys for, for having us. Um, you know, I've checked out your work a bit and, uh, very appreciative. I know Ryan has talked you guys up so much as just the coolest lions fans. And, uh, he is definitely right about that. So, uh, appreciate you having me on and, you know, hopefully we have a good game with, with no injuries and everybody, everybody gets what they want in this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully, the start of a, a beautiful friendship. Uh, maybe we'll see you next time. But but thanks for now. Cheers, Brennan. You too, guys. Take care. See you, Brennan. Just following on from Fields, because I wanted to kind of just put this in there in terms of Ant saying maybe that he's not whole. Not putting words in your mouth a bit, maybe Ant, but not buying wholly into the hype of of Bears Twitter and and Fields. I think the the fun with Fields is that someone of his frame and stature, I think you have to immediately think Cam Newton vibes, right? He he runs over people like Cam does. He is that physical, but he's a bit more elusive as a runner as well. Like Cam just likes to drop the shoulder and run over people, and Fields does that, but he can evade people too. Maybe not like DeAndre Swift, but it's not far away. And then as a passer, he's just better deep ball throws especially but i mean his accuracy is just far better than cam's ever was now you're not designing a, a panthers style offense with cam as just a rushing quarterback who can throw a bit which means that you know your win total might be a lot higher if you did design runs from the start but i look at fields and i think he's a better cam newton already and if you wanted him to be mvp you could probably try and make that happen you you keep that running offense you load up on offensive line you get a really good blocking tight end and you go right gotta work try and stay healthy for 17 games and you might be ending up with the mvp as it is you're trying to build a, a quarterback who's going to be a good qb for 10 years by no. developing his arm right now that's what i see Ant, and that's why bears fans are excited that oh, no I, I, I no i get it so before we do this Fields was my QB1 in that draft. I wanted him here. I loved the dual threat quarterback. 
And, you know, I always wanted him over the rest. And I was kind of gutted when he went there. But like I say, it's you see things with players. But all you see, and, and I get with Fields, the hype is there because Chicago's got its quarterback at last. But you do have to check the level field of where he's at at the minute as well. Because it's all praise at the moment, but he's not a fully rounded player. So it's just trying to find out where he's at currently. He's a very good quarterback. And I have no doubt he will be a very good one, but... You just have to find out where they're actually at as opposed to seeing the highlight reels all the time. There was one pertinent question which came out from the chat from two different people at the same time, which was talking about his progression from week one till now. Because, And I think we talked about it seven weeks ago, Jack. But just to reiterate it, from like a few weeks in, there was talk of maybe they're not sold on fields. Maybe fields is going to be traded. And then things have really come on. And two people in the chat both said... What has changed? Like, why has the change happened? Why has he progressed? What have the coaches done differently for him? And we touched on it before, but what do you think the coaches have done or Fields has done to really come to this point? Because it's not long ago that we were like, oh, the deadline's coming up. Maybe Fields could go for a low one. And I mean, that you're dreaming about that now. You know, everyone else in the league is like, yeah, maybe two first and maybe a bit more, you know? I think the biggest difference that we've seen, and it's a great question, goes back to Getsy. Yeah, I think what we witnessed in the last couple of years was the, you know, the just incessant attempt to to fit a square peg into a round hole, uh, an inability in previous regimes to to take a look at the players on the field and put those players in, in a position to be successful. That's what was lacking. Whereas I do feel like. Going back a little bit to, to Luke Getze is I, I think he has shown a flair to be able to design and scheme an offense. And maybe the, that was a coinciding factor where both Luke Getze came to a bit of a realization about Justin Fields' play set and abilities. And then we saw um, Justin Fields meet the moment. So really the thing that I think sparked it, and again, I, I want to avoid, I mean, we, you guys saw it, Justin Fields has a phenomenal arm. He only runs out of necessity. He was a fantastic passer of the football in college. There is, I have zero doubts that he could be an excellent, um, you know, pocket quarterback if he needs to be, and eventually will develop to be that one. But I think what, what sparked it was there was a good three to four to five designed runs for him, you know, when that, when that shift began. And that seemed to catapult him, honestly. It began to put him, I think, in a little bit better of a, a position of confidence. It got some momentum going with the offense. So then they, they could shift into, again, that ground attack, some play action passing, get him in, getting him outside the pocket, having him complete some passes, more and more confidence. And, and that's just that really has built ever since. I'm going to go through some of the stuff that I haven't gone through already in terms of stats and all that sort of stuff, which may provide context to what we're talking about, or because of the injuries may throw some some spotlight on some of the players that are actually going to be playing in this game. Because when you talk about the fact that, you know, Sanborn isn't playing, Herbert isn't playing, Mooney isn't playing, these are guys we profiled seven weeks ago, and now they're not playing. So in even though it was only two months ago that we were here talking about this, in some ways it's a very, very different game coming. So I'm going to do it justice by trying to go all the way through with this. Um, and just as a game overview in the betting, the Bears are 11 to 5. That makes it about plus 220, 
if I'm right in converting that into American, I'm not the best at doing fractional to to American odds. But Lions are eleven to four on. I think that's minus one eighty or something like that. Lions six point favorites over under fifty two point five. Injury report: Jeremy Reisman of um, Pride of Detroit reports that on Thursday. Josh Reynolds, Logan Stenberg, Kirby Joseph, and Josh Woods were back at training, but not practicing center Frank Ragnow. And as Ant pointed out in our Discord, he's unlikely to have a practice pretty much all season for the rest of the year, but he'll probably play. Coyote Awashika, the guard, and safety Deshaun Elliott all did not return. For the Bears on Wednesday, Claypool and St. Brown did not practice, and Dante Pettis limited with an ankle. So that wide receiver core already down on its luck, not looking too great. Uh, also limited Andrew Brown, the defensive tackle, Justin Jones, the defensive tackle, uh, Sterling Weatherford, the player that Ant was so, so high on in the draft. Uh, Ryan. Ryan, beg your pardon, sorry. Um, Trayvon Wesco, the tight end, Cody Whitehair, the guard, that would be a big loss as well if he can't go, but he'll, he'll probably be fine. And then Tevin Jenkins is back. He was out last week, is that is that right? Yeah. Correct. Yep. He's missed the last two games. He had a, what looked to be a scary uh, neck injury. They had to immobilize him, full out, cart him off the field. And so it's been a best case scenario. And he has been our best lineman. So that's great to have him back. And he missed the first game between us, didn't he? I think he was a late injury addition to that one. I believe that's correct. The best lineman that you guys have had by some distance, even though he also was almost traded at some point during the start of yes. this season. Yeah, what that happened with him? Been... You know, I don't think everything has been revealed. I read an an athletic article recently that gave me the perception that, you know, there there were a few guys, Jalen Johnson included, Tevin Jenkins, who weren't quite buying in. You know, I think anytime you have a new organization and you get a new, you know, boss or CEO that comes in all hell-bent to put in whatever his his new program or her new program is, there's always going to be people that are sitting back there going, yeah, I don't know, maybe bullshit. Um, it, it seemed like perhaps that Tevin Jenkins wasn't overly happy with the system. He wasn't overly happy with with his position. I He was, you know, they sat him down basically. And it doesn't appear that there was a mental health issue. It doesn't appear that there was anything going on physically with him. And then they, they moved him to guard and he has thrived. He's embraced it. Um, and uh, boy, he's, have you guys seen, he's a pancaker just an absolute yeah. road grader, one of those guys who plays nasty in a way that you just love. So back to the original question, it, it's still a little bit murky, but it, it sounds like it was pretty much just a, hey, man, get on board. And I, I think he's gotten on board. Yeah, yeah completely turned it around. I mean, justifying the, the trade up because it was yes. two trade ups, wasn't it, last year? So, yeah, justifying the move because he's been absolutely terrific. Um PFF's grades, 64.6 overall, that's 31st for the Bears, 70.4 on offense, that's 21st, and 49.2 on defense is 32nd in the NFL per Football Outsiders. Overall, instead of 31st by PFF, they're 29th by Football Outsiders, minus 21.3% on offense, minus 6.9% is 23rd, and the defense, 14.2% is 32nd again. Special teams... About there or thereabouts, minus 0.2% is middle of the pack, 16th overall. Quarterback Justin Fields, 185 completions on 297 attempts, a 62.3% completion rate, 
2,167 yards, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, passer rating 88.3, QBR 55.5 on the ground, 150 for 1,011 yards and eight touchdowns. Can he get the record? It surely can't be too far away. Maybe will happen in this game. Who knows? <laughs> it maybe could. PFF grade of 72.7. Other offensive weapons in this game, the, the RB1 now, and it has been, I guess, the whole time, but I, I really feel like Herbert was eating into him. But David Montgomery is still the guy. 114 carries, 650 yards. That's four yards per carry. Five touchdowns, PFF grade of 68.7. Leading receiver, if he plays, is Equinemius St. Brown. 18 uh, catches on 31, 34 targets, 300 yards, one touchdown, six carries as well for 54 yards, PFF grade 64.3. And the tight end, Cole Komet, we heard he has a rebound year, 44 catches on 61 uh, targets, 460 for five touchdowns and a PFF grade of 66.6. Other good grades, Tevin Jenkins has a grade of 80. The, the guard and Braxton Jones attack of 76.5. Guys struggling. There's not too many on offense uh, that we haven't mentioned. Dante Pettis, 54.3, but he's actually come on a bit, I think, down the stretch. In terms of efficiency on offense, 85 of 198 on third down, 42.9% is seventh in the NFL. And I really think that speaks to how well Justin Fields has done in situational play. Fourth down percentage is 38.1, eight completions of eight conversions on 21 attempts is 29th. And in the red zone, Pretty efficient. 26 touchdowns on 47 trips, 55.3% and 14th. The fact that it's Equinemius and Brown, Jack, really just speaks volumes. Now, obviously, we're very familiar with the St. Brown family, but this is a guy who was cut by a cut by the Packers. I'm I'm yeah. not I'm not dreaming there. Cut by a Packers team that was struggling for wide receivers, shall we say, to say the least. And he is if he goes, maybe wide receiver one. I know that there's a, another person who's a recent draft pick who might have a say in that. But in terms of at least re- receiving yards, he's he's the leader in, in the clubhouse. And he's a speedy guy, but he's not bringing a huge amount and he's not the best catcher. And that does hurt Justin Fields. It does. Two things, I think. First of all, he's a fantastic run blocker. I mean, one of the reasons that we're leading the NFL in rushing is because that's been been put as a, a premium, I think, from Getze and the offense is to find wide receivers and tight ends who are vicious run blockers. They, they use the term violent run blockers, and they are. Now, you know, you there's no way around what you are. It, it, that truly is like the Achilles heel. Like, who's athletic, who can go up and get the ball, who can gain separation, you know, who is a playmaker. And I don't even know, I don't know what to say other than you're just looking at a room full of guys that I think Poles took, he took a, a flyer on guys like Harry and Pringle and, and Patterson, St. Brown, and it's been mildly successful. Uh, I don't know if you saw, there was a, a Twitter thread uh, a series of videos of, of drops and fumbles on third down. And, you know, and it, it's that's it's been difficult. I, I think you're right. I think Pettis has been better than expected, maybe earned himself a contract. He's been our punt returner and he's been solid, very dependable. Uh, and I think on offense, he's he's proven to 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 contribute a bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's either it's either Komet. Uh, it's been a little bit of Monty out of the backfield, but I mean, I don't think 
I, I do like Monty. You're right. He's been the one mainly because he's the best um, pass blocking running back. And Herbert just he's coming back off of, of injury. He got shut down by the Bills last week. So uh, your guess is as good as mine. Can we trade St. Browns? Would you be interested? No. I could no. give you like a bag of balls. How about a no. bag of balls? And we'll give you our St. Brown and we'll take yours. No. No, 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 no. How about compliments? I could just effusively compliment your intelligence and good looks. No? no. Well, uh, let's see how hard you try first. I'll, I wouldn't I'll, do it I'll, either, I'll, I'll, man. I'll, 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 I'll judge it by how hard you try. Um. I wouldn't do it either. I saw, like, last year he it was up and coming, and he is just so fast and tough, he's... and uh, he's he's excellent. Yeah, that family, they're driven, they're determined. He's, yeah, he's just something else. Brad Holmes seems to find these players who are just, they've got the right attitudes. It's, you know, it's never good enough. You know, they can be as good as they want, but they can always do better and they always strive to do better. But just, you know, Matt's been talking about your offense there. I'm, I'm very, there's one guy I'm very intrigued about. They said that Justin Fields got very little help from the team last year in terms of the draft, but pick 168 seems to have come through for you you seem to have found potentially a left tackle all the way down there in Braxton Jones he's been quite impressive and it's not often you'll find a guy that late in a draft who will just slot in and play left tackle to at least a good degree now I guess you know you probably are running sort of a run heavy scheme so it does help him and how he plays but he doesn't seem to have been bad in the pass protection side either is has is, is he got sort of a legitimate chance of being a left tackle or will he sort of move when they go for like a premium pick and put a left tackle in? What's What's been the story with him? Because he's been uber impressive so far. He's played every snap. He, you're right. He was, he was drafted what, in the fifth or, fifth or sixth round. I think the fifth round yeah. out of a small school. Uh, I believe he's given up just six sacks all year. Uh, last week, he was our highest uh, graded uh, player from, from PFF. Um, his run blocking was a, a bit higher than his pass blocking for that particular game. Uh, he's extremely willing to learn and like open and honest about the ways in which he, he can improve. The I think it's wait and see, you know, whether or not he becomes the standard for us at, at left tackle. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys that's the premium position. So if they're able to upgrade there in some significantly meaningful way fine <laughs> then then you've got you know braxton jones to go ahead and plug in at another spot we've got plenty of room to improve on the offensive line so to have jenkins and to have um braxton jones play as well as they have we're, we're on our way you know and so yeah I've, I've been impressed some people think that maybe he uh is a bit overhyped because he's the best or one of the best of a really shitty line I don't agree. I think, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the butt. And he's been, he's proven to be a, uh, I think, a, a highly competent left tackle for Justin Fields, right? If you've got your franchise quarterback and you're willing to put a rookie out there at left tackle, doesn't that say something well, about him alone? I mean, that's big. Well, that's, that's what I was asking. It's like you don't find guys there who just slot in at left tackle and play oh. to the degree that he's done. So, yeah, it, you, he is legit that he will be part of that line potentially a front five going forward. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Steve, any questions for, for Jack on the Bears offense? Um, I, I was kind of going to move on along to defense, but I don't know if we've got any more offensive stuff to talk about. 
I mean, I guess so. I was going to move on to it when we talk about Buffalo, Chicago, but just Velas Jones, obviously the the recent pick I allude to, the wide receiver. He's done well on special teams, hasn't really broken out yet offensively. But then last week he had that kind of huge catch late on, crossing route left to right, deep ball from fields. The the throw, the catch, and the route were were excellent. What has Velas Jones done so far? That was the subject of a heated 40-minute debate on our last uh, podcast. Uh, he's been disappointing. You know, he missed a lot of training camp. Uh, he, he cost us uh, a couple of games with, with fumbles uh, late in the game, especially on, on punt returns. He had his best game last week. Uh, I believe he had uh, two catches for uh, 52 yards with a long of 44. He had four returns for upwards, I believe, of 129 kick return yards. And I think his, his best was, was 28 yards. It was a solid game. It was a step in the right direction for Valus Jones. He's been given a ton of criticism, uh, especially for those who don't believe that Poles is, is uh, you know, navigating the ship in the right direction. They, they thought Brisker and Gordon were good picks. They didn't like the Valus Jones Jr. pick. Uh, I'm on board. I, I feel like, again, I, old Bears regime, in my opinion, takes a guy like Valus Jones and ships him. Maybe he doesn't even make the roster next year. New Bears regime puts their arm around his shoulder, takes him into the film room, gets him out on the practice field. They drafted him for a reason. His speed, his size, his strength, his big playability. I think the Bears are going to be patient with him. And I, I still think there's a lot of potential upside for Avalis Jones. I was saying, even if he has the ability to, to run slants and to go vertical, I'm not saying he's like A.J. Brown, but similar to what A.J. Brown did, his yards after the catch in Tennessee were excellent. I just, I just I, Even if he becomes your kick returner, that's one less position, one less spot you have to fill for next year on a roster where there are lots of spots to fill. Um, so I think he makes the roster. I'd, I'd love to see him continue to get better uh, offensively. But I feel like last week, I, I was personally very pleased with his performance. Um, it was it was better, and it's been rocky, to put it mildly. The chat have countered your trade offer, by the way. Um, Justin Fields and Equinemius St. Brown for Jared Goff and Alan Rousen Brown. Yeah, see, I thought that flipped it too much the other yeah. way. <laughs> hey, was St. Brown the one who uh, who knows the names of every single guy that got drafted ahead of him? Yes. Yeah, he has a chip yeah. on his shoulder larger yes. than his head. I love it. I <laughs> took him in every fantasy draft because of because of hard knocks and watching how motivated that dude was. This is really cool. And, and now he's added all the guys who got in the Pro Bowl in front of him on that list as well. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's going to get worse. It's pretty badass. Right, let me go go through the defensive players and then maybe Steve can have a question for you. Linebacker, the guy starting at the moment who has the most most tackles overall for your team is Nicholas Morrow. He had an interception, I think, last week against the Bills. Two passes defended, 103 tackles, 72 of which solo, 10 tackles for a loss, PFF grade of 57.6. Jaquan Brisker is your leading sack man. One interception, five passes defended, a forced fumble, one a fumble recovery, four sacks, 86 tackles, 62 of which solo, five tackles for loss, four quarterback hits, all sacks. PFF grade 66.4. Leading interceptor is Kyler Gordon. He got one last week against the Bills, which was a bit of a gimme. Um, 
three interceptions, six passes defended, a forced fumble and a fumble recovery, 64 tackles, 49 solo, two tackles for loss, PFF grade 53.3. No other players, apart from what I've kind of said, no one really has had a great season, at least by PFF grades. In terms of the people I've not listed who've had iffy grades, Angelo Blackson and Justin Jones, both interior defensive linemen, 33.7, 43.2 respectively. Travis Gibson, the uh, the edge player, 47.9. Mike Pennell, also interior defensive lineman, 48.9. Armour Watts, interior defensive lineman, 49.1. Seems to be a theme, Jack, there. In terms of efficiency, third down, 90 uh, uh, conversions allowed on 181, 49.7, 32nd in the NFL. Fourth downs, 6 of 14, 42.9% is 7th. Red zone, 33 touchdowns allowed on 51 attempts, 64.7%, 28th. So inefficient on third down and defensive line struggling. Um, Steve, I believe you had a question, perhaps. Yeah, so um, we obviously talked quite a bit about Luke Getze, but the kind of other addition that kind of came with Matt Eberflus was Alan Williams. So like this is like a vastly experienced guy, and he's really like... Matt Eberflus's guy from his time at the Colts. I think he was he like the defensive backs coach at the at the Colts for quite a few years. I mean, the task of you know, Matt, Matt Nagy built his sort of s- small success on the Bears' defense. The Bears are obviously a team, you know, monsters of the midway. They're known for their defense. How how far has that defensive rebuild come under Alan Williams? Are you kind of pleased? Where where do you kind of see him at? In terms of like his style, what are Bears fans sort of you know enjoying it, or is it still a lot of work to do? I would say that he was the coordinator that we were most concerned about the last time we spoke, and at least and even halfway through the season, there seemed to be a complete uh, you know ineptness to be able to adjust at halftime. Uh, we were for a while not giving up hardly any points or touchdowns in the first half and leaving the league in some categories. And then, and then there seemed to be no, no second half adjustments. I think that that that's improved greatly. Um, I mean, I think you guys alluded to it earlier, the bears defense punched way above their weight class against the Eagles and against the bills in both games. Williams schemed in a way that had Jalen hurts, on his heels, the entire Philly offense on their heels, and so likewise made Josh Allen and, and the, uh, the Bills' offense pretty darn uncomfortable for 30 minutes or so of football. And, and you read out some of those names. I mean, they're, they're not names. So in that regard, I have been especially impressed with the fundamental soundness of this defense, just as a for instance. You know, you talk about force players or edge players whose job it is to turn the ball carrier back into his friends, into the pursuit very frequently. And, and let me know if you if you notice this in, in, in the game. Very frequently, you will see our defenders with their their sideline shoulder free, making sure that they are turning ball carriers back to the inside. Those types of things, right? There's no such thing as a fine detail in football. All that minutiae matters. I've been very impressed with that. One last thing, Alan Williams, again, was talking today. And he said when he was sitting with the defensive backfield way back in August with the defensive backs, he said to them, listen, 
every one of you is a professional football player and supposed to be one of the best at this in the world. The defensive backfield is the most often injured position on the defense. So we expect every one of you in this room to be prepared to play tomorrow. And, and so that, I don't know, that just really struck me. And I feel like that's come to fruition on the field in, in the way that they they have played. And, and again, progression. I mean, look, look at what they did with Kyler Gordon at the beginning of the year. Just absolutely threw him to the wolves. Had him play nickel, had him play corner. And he was getting, I mean, absolutely boat raced. And now he's, you know, he's become a, a key figure, a key feature in our in our defensive backfield. It's I, I I've been impressed. Now they did give up what was it, two hundred and eighty some yards rushing last week, and almost two one hundred yard rushers and three touchdowns. So, you know, I'm not trying to suggest that they're something that they're not. But given the factors that we've discussed, and not making excuses for them, but quite literally looking at a roster that is what it is. Better than expected, in my opinion. It's hard to see this style of best defense because for years you've been the sack masters. The defensive line, the front seven has always ruled, and we know better than ever. We've been hassled and hurried by them all the time. But this year, you don't have that. The sack counts aren't high. The quarterback oh, hits aren't high. This is not a traditional Chicago defense, but they're getting a lot of takeaways in there. What's what's changed fundamentally between because this is a completely Bears defense. As I say, it's completely different. It used to be the sack masters. It used to be the front seven. Now it seems to be the secondary. Is it? Is it more scheme-based? Is it talent-based? What, what's sort of gone on in that transition from the defense? Well, I mean, I, you, you'll see it. Our, our defensive line is unable to get pressure. And I think that just has to do with personnel. Um, you know, Gibson hasn't been as good as we hoped he would be. Justin Jones has maybe been as good or a little bit better, but doesn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. You know, the fact that uh, Jaquan Brisker has you know, most sacks for us. But he's a good edge rusher, isn't he? He's good with his hand on the – oh, wait, no, he's a safety. Never mind. Um, but, you know, the fact that he has the most sacks is, is – is, it's very telling, right? And we've even tried to find ways to, to, to bring pressure in the last couple of games, as I think you all will see, uh, you know, in this upcoming matchup. I think it's talent. I think it's Brisker. I mean, think about it. With We're, we're maybe a D lineman or two away – from having an, an elite defensive backfield when healthy. If you think if Eddie Jackson's healthy, uh, if if Jalen Johnson's healthy, we've got Kyler Gordon, you've got Brisker, you're you're pretty close. Um, and so, and I'll just tell you in terms of the takeaways, I thought, you know, they, they talk about the sheer amount of reps that they attempt in practice when it comes to ball punches. I mean, I think they even go down to the point of counting the amount of ball punches that they have in practice, which is kind of back to an old Lovey Smith type of mentality, really. And Matt, you weren't too far off. Williams admitted that Kyler Gordon was completely out of position on the uh, interception that he got, but he did credit him for using the technique that they taught, which was high pointing the ball and, you know, being able to bring it down and, you know, and it was still a pick. So, yeah. Uh, so talking about that game, just to give some context to what's been happening, because the best evidence of what's going to happen is the last game, right? We're hoping that's not true, but but it might be true. That specific interception, into double coverage, massively overthrown. But in that situation, you do see defensive backs in man 
not turning around, not trying to face the ball. And he did that. And I mean, he didn't even really need to jump. It was just kind of into his hands, but he made the catch, which you do see a lot of DBs just completely whiff on. So credit to him for that. And at least at the start of this game, you guys, and you say that the defensive line doesn't get much pressure. You put the Buffalo offensive line under a heck of a lot of pressure. You drew two holding calls early because you were able to create some havoc in that offensive line, which I was actually quite impressed by. Eventually, as the game wore on, that kind of wore off a little bit, as you kind of alluded to with the amount of rushing production that they had. Um, what else do we have in here? Uh, the, the, the first touchdown that Allen threw, he locked onto his receiver and you guys were running zone, but the cornerback and the safety in cover two just stood there as a, as a receiver kind of hit a gap wide in the end zone and just let him be. I was blown was away. Surprising. Yeah, yeah, just blew me away how how inept that was in that one play. But it's just it's just one play, right? It, it happens. Right. I don't. I do. It's a great point. I, I was going to say I don't think that that is indicative of their overall play. There's been no. just a lot of instances where you've seen our defensive backs running stride for stride right on the hip with wide receivers and then getting past deflections. Mm -hmm. Again, better than expected. Now, whether or not we can hang, you know, with uh, with your crew. I mean, it's that's 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 questionable, but but we've been better than expected, honestly. We'll see. I mean, the thing is, so that you had the goal line set that Buffalo ran afterwards. So you had a punt; it got downed at the two, and then you they muffed the snap, or Alan muffed the snap off of the first play. They actually ended up recovering it back at the one, but then two really nice plays when they're backed up. It really made me think. Actually, this defensive line is better than you'd expect, especially early on in the game. I thought that the defensive backfield showed a bit too much respect to the to the Buffalo receivers. Obviously, you're trying to take away a certain Stefan Diggs in coverage, and that helped a little bit. But I think a little bit too much respect shown there. Um, seemed very reactive on end arounds and sweeps, which actually the Lions like to run. So I, I hope that we don't do that too much because it seems you guys can cut on to that pretty quickly. Play action pass seemed to be a weakness, kind of buying that a bit too easily and Allen on naked bootlegs just having all the world to to throw and then the rushing touchdowns just really killed you with Singletary rushing for half the field James Cook for a 30 yarder both I think out of shotgun both handed off inside zone runs and pulling linemen and and them kind of fencing people off seemed to be a bit of a, a struggle throughout the game is that is that something you've seen throughout the year, like kind of pulling linemen and specifically that sort of offense? It doesn't say run power. They just kind of pull the right guard out to the left-hand side and run inside zone through that gap and you can't do anything about it. Or is it just that one game in Buffalo? We're just damn good at doing that. I mean, it's a great question. Listening to Flus after last week's game, you know, he's very straightforward in a way that I enjoy. And you're right, those three, I think there were three instances where we just got gashed uh, in the run game. Um, and I just think about it, you know, similar to the way Flues did. He's like, well, you've got your D linemen have a gap. <laughs> your linebackers have a gap. And if you've got a one high safety, he has a gap too. And if everybody is responsible, uh, assignment and alignment does their job in their gap, then you don't get gashed. But I think what we've been kind of talking about as a theme here is, and I didn't watch the all 22, but I mean, it's not hard to imagine the Buffalo Bills's offensive linemen making sure that our D linemen, who just aren't the caliber, you know, uh, the, the, to match, owning them. You know what I'm saying? So I think there was a lot of gap breakdown 
for a very distinct reason because that's like a championship team on its way, you know, I think potentially to another Super Bowl and we aren't. I mean, I really just think, you know what I mean? If we were to watch the all 22, we'd, we'd be, we'd see a three technique and we'd see interior linemen getting moved off their gaps and handled. Moving to the offensive side of the ball in this game, very much a run first offense. I think the first three plays were runs. They were pitches. They were inside and outside zone runs. It doesn't seem to be any one thing that you kind of do as a staple. It's just whatever the, the situation calls for. There's designed QB runs in there. Shovel passes by the cause of acts, you know, basically an extension of the run game, but maybe to tight ends at that point. And then, then once you do that, you're building in fake tosses. Uh, Fields can make all the passes as well, but it needs to be well blocked. The offensive line seemed to struggle a little bit against the Buffalo pass rush. And you alluded to it before in terms of what Buffalo did to shut them down. But running the outside linebackers outside of the defensive ends who are already playing contain really seemed to mean that the Fields design runs were counted very effectively. And drops just seemed to hurt you guys generally. Pettis and Komet were in particular kind of guilty of some really bad ones. And then the Velas Jones catch, which we mentioned earlier. And the thing about that Velas Jones catch is it was deep. And Fields got it out quickly. Like that wasn't a sort of well blocked lots of time to throw sort of thing he dropped back and got it out of there and it went for 44 yards or whatever it was it was something that you see from frankly what i would have regarded as better passing quarterbacks than than justin fields in terms of time to throw because when he's rushed when he's hurried that's where he's struggled before because he likes to hold on to the ball but that was the sort of pass where i thought no he's got it in his arsenal he just needs to kind of practice that a little bit more so and I think Jones was, uh, he was double covered. I mean, so that, you know, and that, that, right, you, you should give Ryan some shit because he was dogging that play because he doesn't like Velas Jones Jr. But I'm like, what else do you want, right? You've got your speedster wide receiver running a deep route, right? He had to adjust to the ball just a little bit. It was a great throw, a great catch, 44 yards in double coverage. But to me, that's like, that's a huge win, man. <laughs> Fellas, any thoughts on uh, the kind of key matchups to this game? We've given the context. We've talked about last week. We've talked about what's happened in the past. But let's focus on this game in particular. We've talked about fields, which I guess is the the real key to this entire game because we know Goff's probably going to be okay, fairly good. He's going to get 300 yards because he seems to do that every week these days. The run game, it's not been doing particularly well. Yeah, maybe that's that's one big question. Do you fellas think that the Lions offensive line, the run game can actually get right against this Bears team? Because for the last four or five weeks, and maybe for, the, for a couple of those, it was our passing offense is efficient. So let's just get away from that because we don't have to run the ball. But then when we've needed to, we haven't got it done. This Bears team really struggled against the run recently. Do you think that we can get it done here? Because maybe that's the key to the game. <laughs> You've got to, you would hope so, because at the end of the day, we have a top five, top five offensive line unit. I reckon the right guard position is becoming a real issue now, which is a shame. Um, you've got to bring Logan back in this weekend. You've got to run the ball on them, bring, bring in your best run blocking right guard and just do that. But without being disrespectful to Chicago, my three first round picks that are on there, Jonah Jackson's on there. I would expect them to make gaps against this defensive line. I just would. 
because it's the one area they've not really invested in at this moment in time. They've invested in secondary, it's really good. It's investment in linebacker, but <laughs> this is not the Chicago front seven we've seen of recent years. And, you know, you, you're you at home, you're in a high-pressure situation. This is why you pay first-round picks to get guys on the line to come in and perform there. So I would absolutely 100% expect them to, but if I'm... If I'm both, if I'm Chicago, I just I just do what the Panthers did to us. I stack the box up to high heaven and force us to go through the middle. And you know we've not proven that we can deal with it so far, which is weird because we've got the run blocking wide receivers, we've got the run blocking tight ends. They can all run block. It just seems schematically they've not figured a way to do it out. People find a way to box us in, but you know you're talking about. The consequences, the stakes in this game, the pressures, you know, the matchup on paper. I 100% expect us to be able to do something in this game. And if you can't, then you've really got to start asking questions. Because these last six weeks, it's been dicky. I think a few weeks, we've just been picking on bad secondaries. And we've not needed to run it. But this isn't one of them. You ain't going to start airing it out on all these guys this week. You've got to establish the run first. So it's a matchup I think is highly favourable to us. And we need to exploit it big time. Steve? Although, although in the previous game, I think in the previous game, that was the game that Swift had six carries for six yards and Jamal Williams only got like 59 yards. So we didn't do it last time. And that's my worry is that the run game seems to be going backwards. I mean, I think my, my big thing is like, no one knows what Lions team are going to turn up. Like, this is the problem. You know, we don't know what kind of DeAndre Swift's going to turn up. Jamal Williams has been like super impressive one minute a red zone threat, but also, you know, penetrating in terms of some, some good carries during the game. But he seems to be kind of running on empty. So I just don't know what kind of like Lions offense is going to turn up. Jack, what do you reckon? Do, do you think the Bears, because this is a chance for the Bears defensive line to really step up. You've got the blueprint from last week. The Panthers really ran it down our throats and didn't allow anything in the run game. Do you think that you can get right here? Well, here's what I I would be surprised if it wasn't close. Again, we we've spoken about this previously, or at least for a good portion of the game. Uh, I feel like the Bears do a really nice job scheming, uh, and I think that they put a nice game plan into effect both offensively and defensively uh, out of the gate. So I, I could see y'all maybe being a, a little frustrated uh, early on because. You're, you're, as you mentioned, your offensive line, and I think all of your weapons on on offense are far superior to us. I, I do, I wouldn't be surprised though if it, if it, again, and you know, sorry if it's repetitive, but, but I think over time, it's just there's there's no way for us to combat a lack of talent, you know, and so uh, it's like you know I've said it the last couple of weeks, like gritty is cool, you know what I mean? Like hey, great grit out there, you guys have no quit in you, and that's awesome. Um, but, but over time, I just, I think the bears get worn down and cannot match up to, you know, um, you know, the, the types of uh, dynamic wide receivers and, and position players that you have, especially, uh, on offense. I, yeah, I just can't see it happening. It's really interesting <laughs> to see the snap count for, um, Jameson Williams this week, because, you know, he, he's been very, very limited, um, apparently, uh, I did read something this week that said the turf at the Panthers field was like appalling. Um, and they just didn't want to 
risk too many snaps with him on a field that was in such bad condition. So maybe this week things will be changed. But, you know, you would think with Jamison Williams and Brown, DJ Chark back in form, you know, we've got to like perform and we should be looking at the, I know Brisk has had a really good rookie season, but, you know, we've got to be looking to get after the Bears, both in the air and on the ground. You know what I'd do? And I think this is a bit different to normal, but I'd move away from the whole jumbo package stuff that we do because I I feel like it's not really working at this moment in time. What I'd do, I'd dare the Chicago defense to try and come up and stop us. I'd line up JMO and DJ at the same time. I'd have Amon Ra there and I'll say, right, you stack that box and risk him, risk Jared Goff throwing on you with these three guys. You want to leave them one-on-one, that's fine. Give your running back some more room to work with. Keep those safeties deep. Keep those linebackers five yards back. Just stop them from stacking the box on you. I think you have to go uber aggressive and trust your linemen to win on a one-on-one situation because I think this lining up two tight ends, the big jumbo sets, they're just it gets crowded and we just don't seem to be able to find a way to run a ball through because we don't do hitting the edge outside the tackle running unless we use motion, which we don't really use very often. So for me, I'd be sticking all my offensive weapons out there and I would dare Chicago to try and come up and stack the box and then beat them one-on-one at the line. That is what I'd be doing. Great minds think alike. I think that there was something I was going to come on to later actually, but I think one of the things obviously we've, we've heard about Deandre Swift in terms of just, he can't break tackles. That's not his game. He's an elusive guy. We're running these jumbo sets and there's loads of people around him. Like that doesn't make any sense. And what does Jared Goff do? Well, we came from spread offenses. He likes wide receivers being on the field, get the ball out quickly or hand it off. And we've not been doing that to him. And to his credit, Jared Goff has done very well, not in that system, but line up in one personnel or 11 personnel, three wide receivers or four on the field at all times, spread it out, shotgun formations, swift in the backfield, and hand it off to him every now and again and, and tell him to run around these guys if the defensive linemen come. And if they don't, Goff make a quick decision and throw to one of these guys or hope that your offensive lineman can have the best of it and throw deep. I really think that is a route to victory for the Lions, for sure. Um, Why you drafted him? Goff has thrown no interceptions, I think. Since no. the last time In the we've last met, four I mean, games, five games. Yeah, yeah, I mean he's been he's been very good. I mean, I think you just know that he has almost no elusiveness, right? So I mean that 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 does create an advantage for the defense when in the past two weeks we've looked at, you know, Jalen Hurts and and Josh Allen, where that's a whole other facet you have to prep for. You know, so I do think that there's an advantage, a bit of an advantage for the Bears defense. They can at least put all their eggs in one basket when it comes to the run game and stop hopefully try to stop your running backs from running and not put much, you know, onus on, on golf being elusive or creating secondary plays when the first play breaks down. And and the thing is, that is exactly what the Jets and Jaguars did against us. They kept stacking the box and they got torched through the air because they kept daring us to do, oh, this is what they do. They run it. They're not going to keep throwing it on us all day, but we did. We didn't need to run the balls on those games because it just kept going. And and that's why Jameson has to be in this side. I don't care if he doesn't get reps or anything. You have drafted him to be your deep field threat. He is he is the reason that a defense is going to get stretched, that they can't box you in. And to not use him, even as just a decoy, at least have the threat of him out there. You've got DJ who's fully healthy. You've got two bona fide deep field threats now. Have him out there. I would... 
fancy either of those two to go up. I know Brisker and Gordon are good, but if, if that's what it comes to, I'll do it. Because I know Goff can do it, and he's been very safe with the ball. So have them both out there. Don't don't start running the two tight end sets again and that. It's not working. Let's move away from it. A little bit of an elephant in the room for the Lions fans, and Dan Pask has brought it up on defence. We haven't really spoken about it on the show, and, and Jack, you may not be aware of this, but it transpired after the game last week where we got torched by the Panthers, who I think most people know are a little bit one-dimensional. Darnold is not the best pass of the ball. They want to bully you on the ground. And the Lions did not stack the box once last week. There was not one snap where they had more than six linemen in there or something, or six, six men. We didn't men play three linebackers. We yeah, just played two. Absolutely. So Dan Pask says, we ran a ton of nickel last week. Yeah, well done. That's, that's where we're at now. Didn't blow the box, and we missed Sean as the strong safety. He's probably out for this game and probably out for the rest of the season, to be honest. Is that your rookie safety that's come on that's, so strong? No, he he was no. a free agent signing. He's, he's not a rookie, but he's he he's very, he was a core special teamer at Baltimore, okay, and, and right. he's come on really strong for us. Your rookie um, safety is amazing. Big big miss for us, Deshaun. Um and and Steve especially, just because of Lions fans. Um, what do you think we're going to do to this Bears defense? Because when the Panthers come along and you don't stack the box you might say that that is just poor game management, but you might say, okay, we think that we're going to be able to take care of business here because we've shut down everyone else who's good against uh, good running the ball doing this defense. And it didn't work in this game. Do you think that they're going to run a similar defense and say to David Montgomery, if you beat us with your legs, then fair enough. Or Justin Fields, if you beat us, beat us with your legs, fair enough. Or do you think we'll see a shift and see more defensive linemen and more people in the box? You've got to box up. You're against a much better quarterback, plainly and simply. And we saw in the first game between us and the Bears, they they were very indisciplined early, keeping the edge. I remember the Hutch one especially. I think we missed fields on like three tackles on one play and you didn't get at him. And, and it was a theme of the day. And on the edge, they weren't disciplined. They didn't keep it in check. But as the game progressed and they went on, they got better at it. They seemed to learn how to play against him. And in the fourth quarter, when it really mattered, when you're trying to get them off the field, they did, and they sort of adjusted as time went by to it. So I would fully expect them to roll out similar again, and we did stack up in that game, and I think you have to. And, you know, the good thing for us is we, we kind of do have those outside linebacker types to be able to play in this. Houston will be in there. I think he might be huge in this game purely because of the speed aspect of this game. But, you know, I think... I think you've got to you've got to play exactly the same way you did before. You can't have one line of defense against these guys here. The Bears run get you know the Bears run blocking on that offensive line is really good. We say the offensive line's bad, but that's when it comes to passing. When it comes to running the football, they're good. So you've got to give it help. And if you don't, they'll not even need to use Justin Fields. And we don't want to be in a situation like that. You kind of got to put the onus on him a little bit. And as you know, Jack's been saying, make him a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, hem him in. But, yeah, I do not want to see that look again, ever. It just is quite obvious. If you're playing like that, you've got to have very smart linebackers with the gap placement, with the toughness. And and all linebackers have been good this year, but they're young rookie guys and they got exposed. The defensive line, young rookie guys got exposed. 
you don't have the experience in the team to play that way, in my humble opinion. So you've got to stack it more, but we have outside linebackers we can use. Let's say it doesn't matter schematically what we do. We have to tackle better than last week because last mm. week was probably worst or second worst week for missed tackles. So many crappy arm tackles. Um, we've really missed the Sean Elliott. Um, it was just not good enough. There seemed to be a lack of focus. Um, I think just just talking about Dan Campbell because we've not really like mentioned him. Like I was quite impressed with Campbell and how he was talking because he he was doing that thing where he was actually confronting playoff talk and so many you know we're we're so sick of the whole Belichick you know we move on to Houston we move on to Philadelphia you know like just not answering the question and Dan Campbell's like he was talking playoffs um, and we get this in in the UK Jack with soccer managers who even though you know. People are way ahead in the league. They refuse to talk about, you know, Champions League places or or cup finals because it's like, no, we've got to just play it game by game. But Campbell was kind of quite vocal in talking about the playoff chances. But then <laughs> Carolina happened, and I'm like, oh shit, maybe it's a, a really bad idea to talk about the playoffs. Maybe you just need to do a Belichick and go, well, we go on to Green Bay. Like, what, what do you guys think? Obviously, work for Belichick. I mean, I don't you think there's like a decent amount of um, you know validity to suggest that you look at the opponent that's in front of you, you know, and and you say we're going to put all our eggs into that basket and watch that basket, and then you know, and then at the end we're going to take another look at where we're at in the playoff race, and then yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's probably very difficult, and it's probably very enticing to to look down the road, you know, when you we have had so much futility for so long. <laughs> I get, I get how that would be tantalizing, you know, to be to be looking at a potential playoff spot. But, but I think you make a great point. Is it is it counterproductive? Counterproductive when it comes to what's in front of us right now. I, I with you, I'm like I, I don't like to hear the coach speak. I'd like, you know what I mean. It's kind of our world to be able to to talk a little fan fiction and look down the road a little bit. But I get it from the perspective of a locker room and a coach. When they when when they take a Belichick approach, look like we we'd we'd looked beyond Carolina to our detriment last week. It really, I mean, as any neutral watching it, I mean, we we just were outplayed. I mean, I don't one hundred percent believe that. I think that on the day you came up against a team that had had their ass kicked the week before, embarrassed at home, and they came out with that intensity. They play like we do. And, you know, they came out with a great game plan. And I think it was an out-coaching on the day, the way they schemed it, the run game, the plays. They saw the looks we were giving them on defense. They adjusted and they took advantage of it. It's I don't know whether it's 100% on the players. Um, but, you know, sometimes you need a humbling. And you know, like Dan Campbell said, it could be good for us in the long run because it's, it's a young team and it was putting a pressure. I think this is the first ever game, the Carolina one, where we've been under pressure since Holmes and Campbell came here, because last year was free year, and this year it's kind of you're clawing your way back from one and six. You're miles off the playoffs. There's nothing there. This is the next of evolution of this team. It's now got to learn to deal with pressure games in December and January, which is a Detroit team hasn't done for years. 
So it just looked on the day, like I say, they, I don't know if they were overrun. I just think the coaches got it a little bit wrong in our case. But this is this is the get right week. This is where you'll really learn about this team and just just where it's at at the minute because Chicago have nothing to lose, literally nothing. I don't think you even lose a draft spot if you win. So it's a case of they can wreck our season or, hey, they're going for a number two, number one pick. It doesn't really matter. This is where we were last season when we were upsetting teams. Now, can this young team deal with that and get itself over the line? We don't know, but maybe last week might end up in a good thing if we win these last two weeks. Or if we win this one, and then you've got a Lambeau next week with the playoffs, you're in the best possible position. Jack, I've got one question from you from the chat, and then maybe we can just go to score predictions, because I know that we've been going a little while. We've picked up a Canadian Rams fan who... uh likes to watch us and he has a question for you he says how did Khalil Herbert look in his first game back and could he be an x-factor in this game I feel like the Bears are at his at their best when him and Fields are rolling which I kind of alluded to earlier in terms of him maybe taking over that RB1 spot I I must admit I didn't take a huge amount of notice of him on the field last week what did you make of his comeback well to put it bluntly he was completely shut down um, Getsy attributes it to two things. One, his first game coming off an injury. I believe he missed a total of five weeks. And then secondarily, a stalwart Buffalo Bills defense. And that that's what he basically attributed it to. I, I don't even know like what his stat line was. I don't think he had over 10 yards. Six for six seven. Yeah. yeah, six for seven. So um, I don't know. I guess... Give him a game to get back <laughs> and get the knock the rust off. I mean, he as we talked about last time, he he has shown himself to be uh, the faster, uh, more versatile back. Uh, he he's great at playing behind his pads and just lowering the boom on defenders. But he's also got an explosive step that I don't think Monty fully has. I like how Herbert hammers the line of scrimmage. I'm I'm a little bit weary of what I see as some uh, dancing with Montgomery. Don't get me wrong. I still think Montgomery's a, a great back. He's a great pass blocker. He fights for every yard. He really does. He's not an elite back, but he is a very good back. Um, so it would be nice to get the one-two punch that we had with Herbert and Montgomery because that was part of the reason why we put ourselves in a position to be one of the best rushing teams in the league. I don't have any reason to think that he won't get back into form. Uh, I just think perhaps that combination that gets you alluded to of first game back, Buffalo Bills, you know, top six, top five defense, that didn't work well for him last week. Mm. And score prediction for you, maybe uh, maybe you can paint a picture for us like, like Brendan did as to how you see this game going. I, I do think that it will be similar to what Brendan said. I guess I would be surprised if... Either team got out ahead early on. I, I really would be. Uh, just not the way Bears games have have gone. And I do think they've set the tempo regardless of the team that they're facing. Uh, again, both with the Eagles and the Bills, they did that, which was surprising. A pleasant surprise. Um, I, I've got uh, 35-28 Detroit. Uh, I do think it'll be a very similar game perhaps to the Bills game uh, in that it will be close until it, it's not. That's that's the way I see it transpiring. Fellas, a picture needs to be painted by you as well. Steve? 
Uh, I'm going to, uh, I think it's going to be like one touchdown close. Um, the, the issue is uh, after last week, I'm, my kind of cautious optimism of how the season was progressing has been shaken by a really bad performance. Um, not just a, a bad performance, but a performance that was just so out of character with where we've been going. So I'm kind of nervous. And I think this is a Bears team that we should be able to put like, you know, 10 to 12 points lead on. But I, I think it's going to be tighter than that. So I'm going to say like maybe 35, 29 Lions. And See, this is, this is where sort of emotional me overrides like rational me when it comes to this. But I, I look at this game very simply. The Chicago Bears are not going to be this bad again for a very long time. They are probably at the lowest ebb they're going to be. They're only going to get stronger. The free agency money next year, they've got a number two overall pick and they're able to trade that away. The assets are going to be there and they're going to start rebuilding again very soon. I think this team has to make a statement here. We are young, we are inexperienced, but we are growing as a team and we are ahead of where they are at the minute. And we have a very big carrot on the end of this stick, potentially. I want to go to Lambeau Field needing to get into the playoffs and the Packers needing the same. I want to put this team in the highest pressure situations to go out and win because it's how it will develop. And I think this weekend we need to put a stamp down on this team. And I, I say I expect, I demand. I know I put on Twitter, I demand, but I do. I do. I think this is the first time since they those two took over, Holmes and Campbell, that I am expecting them to win. I am expecting a reaction similar to what the Panthers gave us last week after their humbling at the Steelers. When we lose games now, we come back strong afterwards. After the Bills game, we all wonder, will we crumble? No, we came back stronger. We learned our lessons. We played the Bears once already. We know how we need to do it. And, I mean, just their injuries. Their injuries are huge, and we, by and large, are quite healthy. I think we are the better team right now, so... I think it's going to be by 10 points. I will put it 27 to 17. I, I don't think we're going to roll 40 over them. I think that defense is too good to do that. But conversely, I would expect us to be able to keep their points down. We're at home. We do better there. So I'm saying about 27 to 17 uh, Lions win. And then we go to Lambeau and what is going to be the most stressful three hours of our life if it's an all-playoff affair and it's winner gets in. I don't think I can handle it. If it gets there, I don't think it's winner gets in. I think winner has a shot. I think they're still going to need some help. So it's going to be even worse because you might win a really stressful game and still not get in, which is just the worst. Uh, Guy Utah on Twitch has subscribed to Tier 1 his second month. Appreciate you, man. He said we overlooked the Panthers. There's certainly an argument there to say that we absolutely did. My thoughts on this game are not the same as any of yours. In in terms of at least the points scored and the way the game this is going to go, lest we forget that although the Bears, we were part of this losing streak that the Bears have had, they led by 14 as the fourth quarter started. And let that sink in. Where are we Bears, going here, Matt? Where are we uh, going here? I'm, I'm yeah. uncomfortable as to where this, it was this at is their, going. It, it was at their home. And, and we were only just on the... Well... Road wins. It's hard to win in the NFC North on the road. It's very difficult to win, even with a good team. It's hard to win on the road. Not at Detroit recently, unless un- unless you, unless you're the Packers and you bribe the refs. But yes, well, so <laughs> this game 
is not going to be low scoring. 27-17 isn't scraping the, the barrel with what can happen in this game. Fields, Montgomery, Herbert, and how that Lions run defense played last week. I don't think the Lions are going to sort it out run D-wise. I think Fields is going to run over this team. I don't think the Lions are going to lose. I do think the Lions will win. But I do think the Bears get out to a lead and by half time, pants are brown. I'm just going to say that right now. I do think it's going to be... Um, That's a brown or some brown. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's going to be one of those where we really go, oh man, is the season really over at halftime? I can see a 10 point, 12 point Bears lead at halftime and we kind of bring it back. This has just I, been mean, isn't it, Steve? I, I, he's, I, he's, he's wishing this on us. This is cruel. I, I can see some sort of wacky shootout like 45 40 or something with both defenses just being terrible in this game. And actually, the Lions coming away from it thinking, okay, we won and we go to Lambeau with something on the line, but my God, we can't win in the playoffs playing like this. I do think like that a, last week's oh, problems flagellation. Are, this is awful. That's almost like a Pyrrhic win, that is. And it there's, is, there's no point. I, it's, it's going to be like a Pyrrhic win if you have it, it your I way. I really think so. I really think it will be. I think we come out of this game feeling worse about our season than we do before, even with a win. Wow. Wow. I just... I've been good on these predictions this year, so don't at me if it goes badly. But I'm pretty sure you're not winning the prediction league at the minute, so... I called 10 and 7. I was the only one to call... No, actually, some people called 9 wins, didn't they? No, most of us called 8, so most of us are correct. You're not going to be... We're not going to get 10, so you've lost. If we go 9 wins, I'll be the only one that predicted a winning season and we'd have had a winning season. Well... Um, yeah, okay. Hold that thought then for a couple of weeks. Uh, Jack, do you want to shout out any... Um, any? So you said about a show on Sunday that you guys may be doing for the review. Yeah, we'll definitely record. Uh, we always re- record a, an after show. We just recently started, thanks to, to to your help, especially to to go live on YouTube. We did our first live YouTube show two weeks ago, and we had uh, Bears legend Tom Waddle on the show, which was just we went live and we had Waddle on the show. I it's hard to fully describe. I mean, you guys can imagine having like one of your like one of your Lions heroes on the show for the first time. It's just awesome. He's a great dude. So I will shout out Tom Waddle because he is just a, an amazing gentleman. And um, so, yeah, so we'll record our post-game uh, show. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be talking about a, a Bears victory after the game. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, shout out Ryan Dangle, who is the the host of the Bear Down Chicago podcast. Uh, and then my co-hosts, uh, who I was – I was touting before the show as well. We we saw Brendan, who's not only a co-host but also writes just some remarkable, um, you know, uh, product for the uh, for Bears Wire. Uh, we've got Patrick Sheldon, uh, who is kind of our uh, he pokes the bear a lot. He's super sarcastic. Some people like him on Twitter and some people don't, but he's he's kind of that guy, you know, who he's can be very funny on Twitter. Uh, I enjoy him greatly. Um, so that we've got him as well, Patrick Sheldon, and then Logan Bradley, who works for the for the betting facet of, of, of Fox Sports, uh, and then also does uh, some co-hosting with us as well. So I've just put the link in the YouTube chat for Bear Down as they've uh, just joined YouTube. So please, guys, go and follow them as you've if you heard from from Jack, 
and from Ryan before and from Brendan, they're a great group of guys and please go and give them your support. Dan Pask is in the chat just saying, one thing I believe the Bears and Packers were always going to play spoilers and play hard. Interestingly, beating our NFC opponents one after the other, we'd have our first playoff win since it was the NFC Central. Let's go Lions. I'm going to this game. I cannot wait. Dan, as the best Lions fan in the podcast universe, we wish you the best and bring home a win. You guys are getting some subs. I can see in the chat we've got some promises of subs. So, Jack, I hope that helps because you guys obviously do some really great stuff. Um, Our next episode on the main show is going to be on Monday for the Bears review show. Steve, sorry? Unless we we lose and then we're boycotting. I was going to say, should we just take 30 seconds just to give our views on what's going to happen at Lambeau between the Vikings and the Packers on Sunday? Because it's kind of crucial. Any thoughts on that? I, I can see it now. The Vikings are going to be leading by like two or something with a minute to go, and then they're going to get screwed by a referee call, which is going to give the Packers the ball, and they're going to hit a walk-off field goal, and then they're going to scab their way through to the last week where they can potentially get in. You know, that's what I mean. They're saying, Jack, this 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 season does not end well for us either way. Either we lose to your lot, and that's just kind of that that just ends our season, or we are the last chapter of the horror story, which is Aaron Rodgers sneaking his jammy ass into the playoffs. And we're on all the ESPN highlights when they rerun it of how the Packers made the playoffs from nowhere. That's that's our nightmare we have these next two weeks now if we don't win out. So, yeah. You're, you're far too optimistic about how that game's going to go. Packers win by 20 in that game. Jesus like, Christ! The, the Vikings are awful i don't care what their record is and i've said it every single time and we proved it the vikings are a bad football team that have lucked their way to this record they are worse than the lions they are worse than the packers as a football team i, th- I think ken said in Lambeau. In, i think ken said somewhere in the chat if i like crack you over the head with your crystal ball can you just move closer to your camera so i can be These... lucky to win to win 10 one score games Yes. Is that lucky? And and well, Ryan will know. Justin Jefferson. That I mean, don't put that that guy alone. Justin Jefferson. Maybe Kirk Cousins is completely unpredictable, and you know I think everyone has their doubts about him, but no one has any doubts about Justin Jefferson. Hey, Ryan Dangle, he'll know all about one-digit wins. Northern Illinois won pretty much all their games by one-digit last year, and then they finished smack bottom of the map this year. (laughs) It's just fraudulent teams win narrowly, so Ryan will know all about that. And um, you talked about the college football scene yesterday. What did you talk about? Um, we went through the latest dealings in the transfer portal. A lot of quarterbacks have been moving. Then we had a recap of bowl season so far. We're about halfway through it. I am 14 and 12 in my predictions at the minute, so I'm still above 500. Um, I think Ryan's, I think we're level actually. And then we previewed the playoffs, which come in this weekend. So it's all good. And then we're doing our final season mock drafts next week and then we're starting to do all the senior ball shrine ball stuff so a lot coming up but good fun the other day fantastic right if you're on youtube and twitch stay right there because we're continuing on live but if you're in the audio show please don't forget to follow us on our socials rural the lines uk youtube twitch facebook instagram and twitter and the facebook group for for worldwide fans is detroit lines fans uk one pride worldwide the website 
rotluk.com. Please don't forget to subscribe, like the show, rate us five stars or whatever you can. We've launched a feedback form, which is in the description down below. We'll just continue running. If you have any constructive criticism about us or anything you want to say that isn't on a Apple review or whatever, then you can do that. So Google Forms, just click down there. Or there's a there's a tip jar down there as well if you want to donate anything to us too. Which I think Matt's sense. predictions are too negative. That's a, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Well, mm. there we go. Anyway, our thanks to Bear Down Chicago, Jack and, and Brendan. You have been absolutely fantastic as always. To Stephen, to Anne, thanks for your company. Guys in the chat, appreciate you and all your questions. We'll see you on Sunday. I'll be running a live show, as always, for the game. But we hope you have a good New Year's celebration for now. Uh, let's go Lions 1 Pride. Yes. Beat the Bears.